I've been involved in three absolutely enormous global studies where I've represented Canada in each of those from St. Mary's. And in the last study, we have over 100,000 participants from all over the world. And I believe we're up to something like 62 countries or nation states involved in that. And I'm the Canadian representative through St. Mary's with my students. Anchored by our maritime history and shaped by the ocean, Halifax, Nova Scotia is a breath of fresh, salty air. Humble, vibrant, and surrounded by natural wonder. It's an ecosystem for innovation and the ultimate backdrop for your event. This is the Discover Halifax podcast, a podcast about the unique and unparalleled local expertise, innovation and infrastructure of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome to the Discover Halifax podcast. I'm your host, Paul Bailey, and today we'll be talking Harlequin novels, dinner orders, and taking the lead. With me today is Dr. Marianne Fisher. She's a full professor in the Department of Psychology at St. Mary's University here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and she's also an affiliated faculty member of the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. She's won multiple awards over her career, and she's published over 100 peer review articles, mostly pertaining to women and evolutionary psychology. She's edited the Oxford Handbook of Women and Competition in 2017, and she's been a lead editor on Evolution's Empress, Darwinian Perspectives on the Nature of Women. Marianne, thanks so much for coming in today. It's great having you here at the studio. Great. Thank you for having me. There's so much going on right now in Halifax, and I know you've got a ton going on, so I'm really looking forward to this chat today. It's something where, I, just as I was reading through everything that you've been up to <laughs> in the last couple of, well, weeks, months, mm-hmm. years, I really feel that for especially the folks who are listening to this, they're going to maybe end up saying, wow, this is not what I expected out of Halifax. Uh, some real big thinking. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Marianne, not only are you, uh, you know, a prof at St. Mary's, but also you're one of Halifax's take the leaders. You're also mm-hmm. somebody who is actually bringing an event here to Halifax. I'm certainly going to want to dig into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 2026, what are you bringing to Halifax? Oh, my goodness. I am very pumped about this. So I'm bringing the Northeastern Evolutionary Psychology Society for their 20th conference to Halifax. This is a group that I hosted in 2016, and it's a fantastic group. It's very diverse in terms of world regions, and it's probably my favorite conference because it's so student-friendly. It's just a fun and smart group of people. So when they come to Halifax, what are you expecting the key takeaways to be from the delegates that are actually here being a part of the conference? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, so let me frame that in terms of the feedback I received from the last conference. So my students and I really made an effort to make everyone feel like they were part of Halifax. So for example, for our international delegates, we actually picked them up personally at the airport took them to their hotels, gave them ideas about where to eat, things like that. So they wouldn't fall into the feeling of, oh, I'm just another number or a tourist or something. And that was really the start of it because we pride ourselves on being a community. 
at this conference. So from there, you know, the takeaway was really that Haligonians are great. I heard a lot of people talking about donairs that they had found out on their own time. We had our reception at the Citadel with a bagpiper and tours. So that really left a fantastic impression from the feedback I received. But it was really this idea that you can walk around see a lot of the coast uh, that, you know, you're against the water, you're against historic buildings, and just really understand some of Canada's oldest history. They absolutely love that part. And and that's probably one of the, I, I'm going to call it one of the most special parts about an event in Halifax mm-hmm. is the fact that you are in a walkable downtown. Yes. You've got multiple universities within a five to 10 minute stroll of downtown, mm-hmm. including St. Mary's. Um, and you've also got the waterfront, you've got the Citadel, you've got everything else. And, and we hear that as well at Discover Halifax, that that's obviously a, a, a big part of a delegate's experience. And, and Donair as well. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> and we had a sit-down lobster dinner at St. Mary's, which was unheard of. And uh, yeah, it just it was the perfect bookend on that on that mm-hmm. meeting. And, and and I think that that's that's the other side of it. The fact that not only do you come to Halifax for the expertise that all the great thinkers have here. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they walk away with that blended experience. So I I, I will certainly dig a little bit more into that as we go through the podcast. Mm -hmm. Marianne, some of the other projects you have underway right now beyond the conference, I know you've got three fairly substantial pieces going right now. You've got uh, the evolutionary views of mothering. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got romance and popular media. (laughs) And you've also got women's intersexual mating competition. You've got a lot of different things happening right now, but I imagine there is a thread that probably connects a lot of this through to Mm -hmm. each other. So I'm a trained evolutionary psychologist, but I'm also, I'd say a feminist at heart. And as I progressed in my career, I realized that some of the views and perspectives within my field were really dated uh, or had been based on assumptions. And so, for example, when we talk about mothering, you would think, oh, you know, mothering has been a really important part for our survival as a species. That would have been studied, but lo and behold, it really hasn't been for my field. So I wanted to take a look at that. And then another area that had been understudied was how women are really actively engaged in the mating game. And that probably sounds like a of course thing to everyone that's listening. But in our field, you know, we always talk about how men are competing with each other and women just kind of put up with the winner and that's who they're with. And that's not the way it happens. And I was really excited to explore that experimentally. And uh, my students and I at St. Mary's, we've done all sorts of fantastic studies looking at that. And it's really, I think the reason I love it so much is because, you know, when you go for a night on the town, you get people looking at you, especially women, if you're a woman, and like they're looking at you, they're looking at what you're wearing. And then there's this glance of an eye roll, or there's this gently, I call it the jellyfish sting, but it's like, oh, you look so nice considering you had herpes last week, you know, and those sorts of statements that at face value might seem nice. And But how do you put a number on that? Like, how do you do an experiment with that? And so that was the basis of my career for a long time, was trying to figure those sorts of issues out. But And then popular media, again, it's looking at basically why are women so interested in romance and popular media, especially in a culture that says, oh, no, like, you know, women are empowered and able to do all of these things. So I guess the thread is really trying to figure out um, – the gray areas and trying to draw attention to things that might have been overlooked otherwise. 
There's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> Just a wee bit, eh? <laughs> Just a wee bit. Uh, and that's always one of the things I love about these podcasts is the fact that usually the person on the other mic is so much smarter than me. And I, and I just have to figure out some questions to ask. But but as I'm listening to that, there's just so much to talk about. Uh, th- I think the first one is when you start looking at romance in popular media, you, you did a fairly substantial piece on looking at the covers of Harlequin novels. I did. I did. And I, I, I've read a couple of the articles that came out, the mm-hmm. dumbed down stuff for people <laughs> like me, uh, you know, through through the media. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that study seems to be far more complicated and far more complex than anything I could have ever imagined just by <laughs> looking at those covers. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, it's, it's probably one of my favorite pieces of work I've ever done. We looked at Harlequin romance novels in a variety of ways. The one that really captured my attention the most was we looked at the titles. So when you go to a grocery store and you see the Harlequin sitting on that rack, you're going to see titles that say, you know, like My Lonely Cowboy or The Billionaire's Baby or things like that. But the titles have been really shaped by market forces. So you have women primarily, 90% of the audience is women, purchasing these books Because something about the image or the history of Harlequin or the title itself is is making them buy the book. So we began collecting the titles of all the Harlequins that had ever been published. At first, this seemed like an easy thing to do. But when you got to uh, our numbers, which was about 23,000, 24,000 different titles that we got one at a time, and then we analyzed them using just basic computer science techniques of information retrieval. So it's just how many words appeared, how frequently. And we found that the books really contain a lot of love in the title, but they also contain words like cowboys, which we thought was really unusual, doctor, all sorts of interesting things. Just so you know, professor is way down on that list. It's right above (laughs) trucker, I think, and right below viking for popularity. But the, the titles really reflected what we felt were women's mating strategies. So what sort of things do women look for in a mate? They look for love. They look for the potential to have babies in long-term relationships. And the reason cowboy might come up so often is because the ethos of cowboys is this, you know, hard working, rugged, but extremely athletically fit character. And the reason that wealth might be coming up so often, like doctors and billionaires and so on, is because those individuals might be able to help provide support and material resources. So we actually fit the work really well with an evolutionary model of, of human behavior. But it was it was just fun to do. Like it was really telling. And then I ended up doing all sorts of other follow-up studies. But the title study to this day is probably my favorite. And when I start looking at it, of course, I have to ask where, you know, Discover Halifax sales director falls on this list. I think it's probably <laughs> probably close to the bottom as well. But, well. Uh, <laughs> but it's studies like this that I don't think are generally something that people would come first to mind when they think of Halifax. No. And the fact that there's folks like you doing that type of research mm-hmm. – here in Halifax, I, I think that that for a lot of people creates maybe a little bit of a dissonance between what people think of Halifax and what's actually happening here. When we start looking at the various schools that exist here in Halifax, whether we're talking about Dalhousie, St. Mary's, Mount St. Vincent, we've got the Nova Scotia Community Colleges, mm-hmm. we've got the Atlantic School of Theology and more. Mm-hmm. 
uh, not to mention what's just outside of Halifax, where we start talking Acadia, St. Effects. There's a lot of thinking that's happening here. Absolutely. And, and, and Jim Hanlon, who we talked to during one of the prior episodes of this podcast, he really kind of nailed down this idea that there's a lot of cross-pollination that happens, and none of these schools really work in a silo by themselves. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's not a professor working by themselves either just within their department. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems to me that to do a analysis of these titles, like you said, there's a computer science element. There's all these other elements that come into play. Mm-hmm. How do you see the cross-pollination or the cross, uh, I'm going to call it coopetition, mm-hmm. working here in Halifax? Oh, it's phenomenal. So I'm actually working on a book with a professor emeritus from Dalhousie Anthropology at the moment, Dr. Jerry Barkow. It's, you know, you can't help but run into really smart and communicative and cooperative academics here in Halifax. It's absolutely amazing. But I have to tell you something that I think really casts an important light about the role of Halifax. I've been involved in this summer alone so in the previous couple of months, uh, I've been involved in three absolutely enormous global studies where I've represented Canada in each of those from St. Mary's. And in the last study that uh, we're finishing up our data collection for, we have over 100,000 participants from all over the world. And I believe we're up to something like 62 countries or nation states involved in that. And I'm the Canadian representative through St. Mary's with my students. And I have one undergraduate student working with me on that. And it's yeah, I mean, that's one of several studies I've done in the last couple of months alone, let alone across my career at St. Mary's. I think the world is starting to understand what we have to offer here. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what you're saying right now, so closely aligns to Dr. Zach Zimmer, who was on an earlier episode as well, just talking about the fact that it seems like the sun's shining a little bit brighter here in Halifax all of a sudden, especially when it comes to the academic world. And I, I think we've seen a bit of an evolution in uh, the way a lot of these institutions are are, mm-hmm. are, are highlighting the work that you're doing and, and those like you are doing, mm-hmm. which, Absolutely. Is, which has never been the case before. I, no. I think, to be fair, I think sometimes we're probably our our own worst PR machine <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> talking about these stories. Yes. I think part of it is that and I look around my colleagues and all of us seem to enjoy what we're doing for the most part, but we don't go out and brag about it. We don't get to the big conferences and say, oh, I'm doing all this fantastic, exciting work here. Look at me, look at me. I think the Haligonian way is, is more relaxed, easygoing, put your head down and do your work mm. and just do it. And I think you're absolutely right in terms of we don't necessarily flout it as much as we could. I don't think we we take that in that way. Are you ready to jump in and learn more? Stay tuned for the second half of the conversation. And then visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to get the full story on why Halifax, Nova Scotia makes perfect sense for your next event. I I completely agree. I think the other part, though, is... I've had nothing but success connecting our clients at Discover Halifax into worlds such as yours. And then people like you saying, well, it might not be me. It might be (laughs) this person, whether it's at my Mm -hmm. school or another school or my friend Katie over at the uh, Natural uh, History Museum, or it might be this person or this person or this Mm -hmm. person. I I think there's 
a connective tissue, which is a lot stronger here in Halifax than maybe elsewhere. Absolutely. It's definitely, I don't feel the sense of competition here that I did when I was at other universities. Here, it's really, you can have more than one expert in an area. And instead of engaging in that backbiting or trying to demote someone, which you commonly, commonly see, especially at the bigger universities with labs full of students, you don't see that here. Instead, it's, hey, if you want me to review that for you, I can. If you want a set of eyes on that, I'll be happy to read that over and invest my time in your work without anything to gain. And I think that's because the universities really are about a community. You know, like one of the things, just as an example, that I pride myself on as a St. Mary's professor is we hold our doors open. We hold them open painfully long if we see someone coming behind us. And I think that's, it's just, we would hold our door open for a friend, you know, and uh, we've actually done studies on how long people will hold that door open before they give up hope. And it's long. (laughs) You know, to that end, you're absolutely right. Uh, It's funny when I travel, this is just Paul, the the guy from Liverpool more than anything else. Mm -hmm. But I, I miss that sometimes when you go somewhere else and, and, and that door isn't being held. I, I don't yes. know what it is. It's a funny thing. When you come home, you just expect it. Oh, I find it rude now. Before it was just me <laughs> traveling in the world. Now I'm like, how rude. <laughs> Actually, the other day I saw somebody holding an automatic door and I thought that was rather novel. <laughs> and, and that had more to do with the fact that I had the shopping cart and they didn't want it to close on the cart, I think. But <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll take it. And, and, you know, speaking of groceries and food, I think that's another area that you're expanding your research into yes. uh, when it comes to food studies. It is. Yeah. And that was actually one of the big cross-cultural studies I was engaged in this year and last year, actually. So tell me a little bit about that. I've tried to understand exactly how food and my social li- uh, mm-hmm. life, how it all works together, but you probably can explain it better than I could ever set up a question. <laughs> well, I'll give you an example, because uh, we've done various types of research in that realm. But when you go on a first date and you're trying to make an impression on the person you're with, do you order the poutine or do you order the salad, right? Do you did you try to get the big steak or are you thinking more about lighter fare and things like that? And we found experimentally that it really matters if you're a woman or a man, not surprisingly. But it also, some people would think, oh, you know, like maybe I should make a healthy impression. So I eat just the salad or order just a salad and a glass of water. But we found that when people go too far healthy, the other person feels uncomfortable and judges them poorly. And so it's, we've done all sorts of studies like that, but we've also done the social lives of vegetarians. So we did this big cross-cultural study. It's actually a book now. And we interviewed vegetarians all around the world. And we were looking at how vegetarians feel accommodated or not accommodated in their social lives or vegans as well. So for example, when you go to a barbecue as a vegetarian, what do you do? Or if you're vegan, what do you do? And it was really a beautiful cross-cultural examination of those trade-offs and decision-making that people make about hosting an event and about being a vegetarian or vegan with special food needs. So what does a vegan or vegetarian do at a barbecue? You open the door. I have to ask the question. (laughs) It depends on where you live. I suppose. Um, So, I mean, on the one hand, some people feel appalled at the invite because it shows a lack of sensitivity Mm -hmm. on the, the person requesting their company. But in Canada, one of the things that we tend to do is vegetarians will often bring their own food. And that seems to be the most graceful solution a lot of the time is saying, oh, great, love to come. I'll bring some vegan burgers or vegetarian burgers. And is there anything else you need picked up? So and that seems to be the go to polite line. That's interesting. I'm going to have to watch what I order more when I go out. (laughs) I'm very happy to say, you know, my wife and I, we've been together for 
25 years. Mm-hmm. So I don't notice that I'm doing it at a conscious level, but I bet you at a subconscious level, I'm probably doing something there. And, and, and now I'm going to have to watch that so much more carefully. <laughs> Do I really need those four shots in my coffee? Huh. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to kind of walk through all that, I suppose, more than anything else. <laughs> you know, if you don't mind, I'd love to switch gears now just back to the the conference mm-hmm. and, and and a little bit of the why. Because right. everyone has a different why. Mm-hmm. And right now, as you know, we're in the process of launching Take the Lead, which is really a program for Haligonians to step up and be advocates or people who are actually attracting events here. Mm-hmm. And everyone who brings an event seems to have some common responses, but also some parts that are distinctly mm-hmm. That's fair. Distinctly them. Mm-hmm. So why do you bring events to <laughs> Halifax? You know, that's a fantastic question because for me, it's very multifaceted. So one big reason is the social. I wanted to bring the people that I enjoy being with, a lot of them are people that attend these conferences, to come and see where I am, come see my university, see my home base, see the places I like and go to. But there's also, it's also a pride thing. I am very proud of where I am and what I've achieved. And I want to show other delegates that you can be at a place like St. Mary's, which, you know, might not be the Harvard in terms of size and the and the amount of attention it receives. And we can still have a world-class conference. And I would say, oh, strip a lot of other big cities because we have that community spirit. Like I felt absolutely safe saying to the delegates, go anywhere you want downtown, you know, and here's some places to eat, but don't be afraid to try other places off the list. And you don't get that when you go to many other conferences. But it just, you know, I I think Halifax is a safe place to bring delegates from an uh, international uh, standpoint. But it's just, it's beautiful, you know. And I, I have to say, the conference was held in June, and the weather was not on our side. And I think part of the experience that brought us together as a community, especially at the first event, which was at the Citadel, and it was very blustery that day, was we had to figure out how to keep warm very mm-hmm. quickly. And that led to some really positive interactions and problem solving. So I, yeah, I, for me, it was um, honestly a very easy position to be in. I just wanted to have it here. And for those who aren't fully familiar with um the geography of Halifax. <laughs> the Citadel is at the very top of our, our, our Halifax downtown, overlooking the harbor, mm-hmm. overlooking all the buildings and everything else that exists. So that is really, truly the highest geographical point in our, our, our downtown. So I can imagine the wind coming off the harbor. Yes. <laughs> it was bracing. It was bracing. Yes. <laughs> so how many folks did you have at your conference uh, back in 16? Um, just under 200 in the end. Wow. And we had, considering it's what I would consider a small to moderate sized conference for my area, we had scholars from... Japan, New Zealand, all over Europe. It was absolutely amazing. It was Brazil, Chile, all sorts of different places that would maybe not necessarily be places that would first come to mind for a a smaller to moderate conference in Halifax, but it was absolutely international in scope. Looking at your conference from 2016 and and the learnings that came from it, I know we talked a little bit about that earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. Where are you hosting the conference this time? Oh, that's always the question. So 
I'm a little bit torn because I have my dream venues. It's sort of like a wedding planner. I have my dream <laughs> venues of where I would love, say, the banquet to be and what I want the delegates to be exposed to. And then I have, you know, the, the financial side of it because I, I'm working with a very, I'd say, small budget. And that's actually another reason Halifax is so great is because you can really maximize mm-hmm. that budget. So I'm torn. I'm torn. I'm a history person, so I want them to see the history side of Halifax more than anything. And we're also going to be putting in a day excursion. We did that last time. They went to Peggy's Cove. But this time I'm thinking something a little bit more unusual. Mm. Well, my colleague, Jeff Turner, I know he's working with you on this. And uh, I know he worked with you on the last one as well. So, uh, you know, one of the big things there and the reason why I always like to give a plug for especially my colleague, Jeff, is the work that he does that goes into helping folks like you Mm -hmm. put on your conferences. And and he does it as a part of Discover Halifax at no charge. It's absolutely amazing. He was the go-to contact for so much. And I really don't know if I could have pulled off the kind of meeting I did without his support. And it was all offered up front and promotional materials, all sorts of things, just the whole beginning to end, I'd say, of the service. For me, I think that that really kind of puts that final push on some of the parts about you taking the lead. Mm -hmm. I would love to make one more final shift and talk about, I guess you've got something fairly major happening right now. Uh, You're you're going uh, after this to do an interview or two, and and you've got a lot of work happening there as well. I'd love for you to just bring us up to speed on that as well. I I know this podcast Mm -hmm. will probably come out after those interviews, but nevertheless, (laughs) you're here. Oh, for sure. I appreciate that. I actually, I'm I'm super excited about this because one of the students at St. Mary's who recently graduated, Mackenzie Zink, he did an undergraduate thesis that was supervised by Dr. Laura Weir in biology and myself. And what we did was we looked at photographs that men and women include in their online dating profiles. And we analyzed them according to whether they were seeking a long-term relationship or a short-term relationship. And what we found was that men who were seeking long-term relationships were far more likely to put a dependent in their picture, which was something like a a child or a dog or to a much lesser extent cats or ferrets or birds or anything else you can imagine. Men in short-term relationships don't tend to put those sorts of inclusions in their photos. And when we looked at that compared to women, uh, men put far more dogs than women do, and women put more children in their pictures than men do. And then if you're thinking, well, what about women seeking short-term relationships? Well, we collected this data in the summer of 2020, and at that time, we were getting 225 pictures of men seeking long-term and so on. So 225 was our baseline. We could only find 46 in the whole province of Nova Scotia that were women seeking short-term. So we did some analyses, but we really can't draw a definitive statement about that because it's a small sample size. But it's been gaining a lot of attention in the media as men exhibiting their dogs to woo or snare women for these longer-term relationships. And the way we interpret it is, you know, if you're if you're a man seeking a long-term relationship, showing a picture of a dog might say, I have the resources to invest because dogs aren't cheap. I can keep something alive for quite a while that needs daily attention. And if I'm willing to invest my time and energies into this, I might be willing to do it for our relationship too. So we think there is a, a message there that women might be picking up on. That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it, it's funny, in, in my former uh, world before Discover Halifax, I was in advertising and I can remember 
having a conversation with a client about what type of dog to put into images. <laughs> yes. So I, I'm sure there's some type of a, a correlation there as well. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and it, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's 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 a uh, yellow lab or a golden retriever. Exactly. Those those are the top two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Pitbull sends a very different type of message, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marianne, I want to wish you all the best with all the interviews and all the work you've got coming up. Thank you. Um, I can't wait to see what you work with Jeff on to choose that mystery location for 2026. <laughs> and, and I'm sure our partners at Discover Halifax can't wait to hear as well. Mm-hmm. As always, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, having somebody like you, not only in the city, doing the research mm-hmm. you're doing, but also stepping up to take the lead and, and bring events to Halifax and sharing your knowledge and some time with me today has been absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much, Paul. I appreciate that. Halifax, Nova Scotia is ready to host you. Whatever you're gathering for, from wherever in the world you are, you'll feel right at home here. Halifax is home to a diverse collection of memorable places to meet and stay. Plus, we have all the collaborators to help your event go off without a hitch. And when it comes to nailing down the details, consider Discover Halifax your partner in planning. Visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to learn more, take virtual tours, and meet Team Halifax. Halifax.